Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Suburbs of New York City. Apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What a week. What's up, brother? What a week indeed, Andrew. Let's get the... Let's get the vacation chat out of the way before we start with the uh, the football chat. Do people How was care? Your... Do, do people care about that? People care a lot, Andrew. People were spotting you. Um, remember, there was this phenomenon. Uh, it was way before the internet of people would see Elvis long after he died. You know, in 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 Tunisia, they'd see him uh, somewhere in South Africa. He'd be spotted everywhere because there's these people who don't believe that he had passed on, and that's kind of what we got. From one of our listeners, Connor saw you at the beach with Arsene Wenger, which leans into a different conspiracy theory I have about both of you, um, which I've aired on the pod before, that you're, you're secretly in league and have been working together to try and get a biennial World Cup over the line. But uh, Wenger is there and he's about to take a picture with, uh, with a gentleman on the right. And Wenger has got his top off and looks, I mean, 72, looks magnificent. Um, although I'm pretty, he's probably older than 72. Uh, I have to check that. But the guy to beside him just looks, looks really like you, but with the normal torso, I suppose. Yeah. So I've seen that picture. Uh, you should probably tweet it out because I'll I'll say this. It, it, it's not me, but I could, I could understand why someone would, would think it's me. The face is similar. The hair is the same. The yeah. beard shape is identical. Yeah. Um, like you said, he does not he does not suffer from weird body syndrome. So that is the dead giveaway that it's not me. Um, it is not me. But wow. Even I looked at it twice and said, did he superimpose my head on that guy's body? It, it really it, it does look a lot like me. So for the, people the, to know what we're talking about, you should you should tweet yeah. it out. I will tweet it out and it's not beyond the animals of Reddit to actually put your head on, on other people's bodies. So it was a good, a good, a good shout by you, but no, I should say though, that, that is a, that's a flattering picture. Like that would be the best looking version of me. So (laughs) I think you look good right now. I know this is obviously an audio medium, uh, but people can't see you, but I think you look tanned. You look somewhat relaxed, although no, no, no. Still okay. years away. I don't want to go down the road of until you have a child, until you have a child, because I don't know if people want to hear that. Um, but this was the first trip that we had ever taken, the four of us. We hadn't done really anything um, during COVID. We hadn't flown, really, other than me going on my One Eagles road trip during that time. Um, Selfish. But this was the first time that the four of us had traveled somewhere. And the trip itself was, was wonderful. Um, and it was very nice. The travel experience, <laughs> uh, oof. not so good. Horrifying. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. But listen, let's save all this for, for your forthcoming book, How Not to Daddy. You know what I sometimes di- wonder about, JJ? Sorry to cut you off. Okay. So I sometimes I've been wondering lately as I as we go grow older and contemplate our mortality. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm doing that a lot lately. I sometimes think about. Okay, if hell exists, then what actually is it? Like, is it just this picture in our mind of what we've been led to believe? It's just this this fiery hellscape, uh, right. you know, Dante's it, Inferno. Right. Is it that? Is it what the art and movies would have you 
kind of believe that it is what South Park would have you believe that it is. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes have been wondering, maybe it's just this like altered state of being where whatever it is in your life, that is the worst thing that, that you do. Maybe yeah. you just kind of relive that on repeat for, yeah. for eternity. Right. And I've been thinking about what that would be for me. And until a few, until a few days ago, I thought that it was installing children's car seats in cars that I would just continually do that on repeat for the rest of my life. A never and, ending pile of car seats. Because it's it might be the thing in my life that I've grown to hate the most is installing right. children's car seats in, in the backseat of car. That's just it's the worst. Um, but now I think it might be traveling with a, a wild animal two year old on an airplane and try and desperately trying to catch that flight. And I think just reliving that on repeat would be my hell. Yeah. The trip was cool. great. Right. That part, the airport specific parts uh, were just and he was and and Luke was just the worst on the flight. Of course. Uh, the first time he'd been on a plane, I was kind of hoping he would just like either sleep, God forbid, or like watch a show that we had downloaded on Netflix or something like that. And instead, on the flight down, he I had to trade seats with the guy sitting in front of him because he relentlessly screaming and kicking wouldn't stop. And there's nothing like the gentle massage of a toddler rattling the back of an airline seat. Yeah. And you can't and you, you can't do anything. Where are you going to there's nowhere to go. That's it. Like and so it was yeah. again, trip. Great travel. Mm-hmm. Let's talk soccer. Yeah, let's do that. I think I think soccer is the uh, soccer is your release. Soccer is your nirvana. If 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 there was something that wasn't that hellscape of car seats and children and travel. I think soccer would be, would be part of your Nirvana. Oh, it certainly would. Uh, and this past week would be potentially part of it because the, the champions league delivered once again, gee, I, I, the champions league is, it's just so good. And it's consistently so good. I can't wait till more teams are added that don't belong there on merit. Isn't that going to just make it better? JJ. I think it's going to be great. You know yeah. what element I can't wait to see is some absolute useless team that was famous a few years ago. Uh, I don't know, Manchester United, Juventus, maybe future Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And let's just have them in anyway when they don't deserve to be in it. Yeah, that's going to be great. And let's squeeze out any stories uh, like Villarreal. You know, let's get rid of them. That's what it's all about after all, isn't it? Isn't it? What a few days this has been. Where to begin? Where... To begin, I would say probably, JJ, what happened in the Bernabeu in Madrid, um, because there were a couple things that happened in Madrid over the past couple of days. But that one in particular, 3-2 on the night, Chelsea do all they can in their power to get back and and overtake Real Madrid. But in the end, it's Karim Benzema uh, who (laughs) provides the finishing touch on what was a classic, classic Champions Champions League night in that city. Uh, For me... In looking back on this, there, there are obviously a lot of talking points. Um, the thing for Chelsea that I think is is going to be tough for them to live with in the wake of this. I know there's, we'll, we'll get into the referee talk and all that and those conversations. But I think the problem for Chelsea is, JJ, they worked so hard to, to do this. When it went into the second leg, 3-1 going back to Madrid, um, you know, even though we think those teams, I, I think Real Madrid are a little better than Chelsea. I said that on the last podcast that if they were in the same league together, Real Madrid, Did, I think didn't look like it for most of that game. But for, for a lot of that game, it didn't. And, and I think we have to come away from this thinking that these teams are, are actually pretty even. 
I think that that's a fair assessment on this. And Chelsea had to work very hard, but they did it. They got back. They, they had the lead late. And I think the thing for them that will be tough to live with is that the two goals scored by Real Madrid came off of Chelsea mistakes. Correct. Giveaways in bad areas. One, the first of which from N'Golo Conte. And he was involved in the second too. Uh, yeah. Although I don't think it was it was a mess up between him and I think Reese James. But you can't do it. No, and I think that's for me again. Chelsea fans might say, "No, no, no, we did our job." The referee, blah blah blah. I don't know. I don't buy that. I think that unfortunately Chelsea did all that hard work, and in the end, unforced errors had a lot to do. Now, look, Real Madrid had a lot of work to do after those errors occurred. It's not like it was a goalie who who made one errant back pass and one guy was in on goal. Like, we'll talk about Luka Modric, Benzema, all of that. But those goals jo- both began from unforced errors from Chelsea. And that's when you do all the hard things to get back. That's a tough that's tough to live with in the wake of it. Yeah, that's that's going to be galling for them. And I think I think they played so well. They They had so much energy compared to the first leg. I talked about the way that uh, Chelsea, or PSG and Chelsea have, have been able to kind of revitalize and rejuvenate an aging team. Well, Martin Tyler was was in sync with me on that. So when Chelsea were 3-0 up um, after the Timo Werner goal, uh, <laughs> Tyler used the term, and it's uh, Real Madrid looking elderly. You know, but somewhere, somehow, through Chelsea mistakes, possibly through Chelsea substitutions, depending on on what you what you believe it was uh, the correct decision in terms of Pulisic for Werner. Um, Chelsea allowed Real Madrid back into this one. And I do and I do think those two errors like it's it Conte at times in this game looked brilliant. And at other times, specifically two times, giving the ball away. Now could could Conte possibly know that Modric was going to pull out a pass like that. No, but I, I think he's got to play the percentages, maybe boot that one out of play, let them regroup. But he tries to get one down the line. Uh, Marcelo turns it over and maybe the greatest assist we've ever seen. Certainly, you're going to see this one for the rest of your life. There is going to be excellent YouTube, various angle clips of this one. It, it was just the most amazing uh, assist for Rodrigo from Luka Modric. And, and, and that's the talent that Real Madrid still have despite their advancing years. And then just the, the Vinicius, I think lost, a little bit lost in the, you know, obviously the, the Ben's love was that Vinicius picked out a cross, flicked it with the, with the right side of his foot. That was just so perfect. Now, they have a great understanding. They have a great relationship. Uh, Vinicius and Benzema but at the same time the execution of the cross was so good and Benzema he's not going to miss that Thierry Henry kind of highlighted something interesting how he his movement uh, Benzema dropped off just a few yards just to give him that space into which into which to attack and obviously I think it's Rudiger slips and I don't think he's getting close to Benzema anyway but um, the execution of that was brilliant so it's it's frustrating for Chelsea. We'll get to the refereeing stuff, I'm sure. But it is frustrating for Chelsea because they work, like you said, they worked their way back into this game to the point where, you know, they were, they were going through. They were ahead. And then for errors to kind of open the door for that ability of Real Madrid again was just 
it's got to be galling. And I think it probably, it probably led into a lot of what Tuchel said after the game where he talked about the referee not having courage, et cetera, et cetera. He can't accuse his team of not having courage because they had lots of it. Um, but I don't think, I, I ultimately, and I have issues with the ref and VAR, but I don't think it was that that put Chelsea out. So, yeah, emotions were raw after that. They were that very was, much That so. was super emotional, that game. Yeah. Uh, it's why I sometimes think that, like, human beings, after going through an emotional experience like that, are not, are not well suited to then address the media. They're just not. No. We're forced to. Um, but it's why if a guy sometimes like I have a lot of respect for guys after a game where they lose and it's and it's devastating. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for guys who who go out there and face the media, but it's why I, I won't necessarily kill guys who don't, because I feel like especially guys who are generally reliable and do, you know, do the right things in terms of like their media obligations and all that stuff. Um, like if a guy tells you not today, sometimes you just have to trust him that like he, he knows himself and he's going to say something he might regret. And it, it's a tough thing to ask someone to speak after, after a situation like that. And Tuchel did, and he went in on the ref. And I think a lot of, look, I don't know necessarily exactly what he's claiming is to be unfair. Uh, I think he was mad at the referee because not necessarily, maybe there were things that happened on the pitch that, that, that did anger him. I think the visual, uh, like I know Tuchel got the yellow card in that game. Like he was clearly, he was, he was not thrilled with what was going on. But um, I think the visual at the end that he talked about of Ancelotti and the referee laughing together put him over the top. And I think yeah. he just, he needed to say something mean about that ref. Like he, he went in there with a plan. I, I got to say something about this guy and, and be critical of him. I'm that, I'm so mad at him. I think part of it too, Andrew, was that he wanted the referee to have another look at the Alonzo handball for the goal, which, uh, you know, I think, I think it's fair enough. Uh, the referee was happy to go with, with VAR. Um, I've watched it a million times. The handball, if it had, and I, you see, here's the thing. There were so many people yesterday uh, tweeting with absolute certainty that it was a handball. And then others, the other side said, well, we you can't see it. And I, I couldn't see it materially. I, he withdraws his hand back because it's popped up in such a way it hits his midriff. But his hand, it's not a clear slap down that pops the ball up for him to volley. It's, it's right. not that. I agree. A, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I saw your tweets. Um. Instantly regret regretted it. So I was I saw you. Why? What were people? What we? What was being said to you? Because of the nature of Twitter and sometimes the nature of people. Although I'm pretty sure you're you're a blind fool. Like no, yeah, yeah. One of them was, of course, from a a Real Madrid and Manchester United fan. Try and square that circle. Uh, He he barrels in and says, uh, "Laugh emoji." First of all, if you want to get someone to get their back up and get them into a Twitter spat. Start with a laugh emoji, like as if this is the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard. <laughs> right? Can't you see the handball? Are and you then, and then finish that tweet with "Do better." Oh, oh yeah, that'll do it. That'll absolutely do it. He he stayed away from that one, to be okay. fair. But no, it's just the general certainty people had that it, that it was an obvious handball. Now again, this is this mix of 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 Twitter, um, and 
the way we converse on Twitter and also a mix of rivalries. You know, a lot of the people who were saying it was definitely a handball would have some kind of enemies towards Chelsea as a football club. Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't operate like that when I, especially when I see an isolated incident. Right. Like Only that. if it's United. Continue. I mean, it's United. It's just a gift that keeps on giving. Right. I mean, there's not, there's I didn't not, mean to I, take you down a road. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take me down that road. But the, the ball pops up in a perfectly normal way. It, it hits his midriff. He pulls, uh, Alonso pulls his hand back. Not because he's trying to, someone said, why else would he pull his hand back? Well, actually the striking motion for that volley requires you to leverage your hand somewhat as well back behind you, but also forget hand positions. It's just not clear that he affected or touched the ball. And if he did, it was so tiny and imperceptible. They were. Happy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say imperceptible. I, I do believe you're right in that this was not blatant in the way many of these are. Mm. Having watched it a lot, I do believe it touched his hand. Um, and I don't know. Did he? I mean, did he protest? Like, I don't remember seeing Alonzo go ballistic. No, he after the decision after the VAR had a look at it. Yeah, he 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 kind of he he protest, He did his like the usual thing, but there is a. There is an understanding most footballers. Oh, if this is hopping up, this is going to look like this is going to look like a handball. Mm-hmm. But I, again, not to get to get dragged down this too much, because I can't I still can't tell. I'm not going out with definitive opinions. I can't tell. And if you can't tell, I don't think you should be chalking the goal off. And I'm not sure, like for all the technology and angles VAR have, they have more or less the same as the TV production, unless there's some secret camera angle. Um, that that I haven't seen, but whatever, whatever. Let's not, let, we're getting well, bogged so, down here. Real quick though, Tuchel I think was mad that the referee didn't go look at, at him himself. Yeah, um, and the only thing that I would say to that is on the on the play itself and how close it was. I would agree. The problem is we don't know what was said to the referee. If the VAR says to the referee it hit his hand, then that's it. There's not. It's not subjective anymore. Yeah. If, if that is said to the ref, it's over. Like anything yeah. having to do with touching a hand and then immediately scoring a goal is chalked off. So if that's what was said to him, there's no reason for him to go look at it. So if it was said, I don't know, it might have, then that's another story. And but but that couldn't have been what was said. Otherwise, he obviously would have gone to look. And if the, the referee monitor. and I mean, the referee has it right per the rules, if 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 and the VAR has it right, if, if there was a handball directly by the player who's about to shoot, then that goal has to be chalked off. So if you judge that, the decision is correct. I'm just saying I can't see it. Fair enough. That's fair. People who, who attacked you like, like you were, like this was your first day on earth. <laughs> yeah, and as if, you can't as, if see yet. as if I'd never seen a game before, as if you, I'd never kicked the ball before, all of that. But it's, it's, it's the usual suspects. It's amazing. Um, and I don't blame them. I see this behavior in myself as well, and I'm, I'm desperately trying to, to pull back on it. Twitter is a space for exactly this kind of argument that then goes toxic. Like it's a stupid argument really to have. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It's over now. Yeah. Before we leave this game, a couple of final things uh, to discuss. Uh, first off, I think when you get to the stage of the Champions League, uh, this is what you hope for in terms of quality. And like... The Kovacic assist early, like he's become one of my favorite passers in, in the world. Just watching him pass, I think, is, is a joy. Uh, and then for that to be outdone, you mentioned it earlier, the Luka Modric assist. I'm just, as a neutral in this game, 
it just makes me so happy that Rodrigo converted that. So now we can actually celebrate it because like all, all the credit is being given to the assist. The finish wasn't simple. I mean, in, you know, in a situation like that, uh, taking it out of the air on the volley like that, he made it look easy, but I think a lot of guys probably missed that. That was quality. And so because he converted it, we can now then look at that assist from Modric and just marvel at it with the outside of the boot in the circumstances in which that occurred, um, that distance, the perfection of the where angles. it landed. It was, I mean, it's, it goes, look, I don't, I can't sit here chapter and verse and tell you the greatest assists of all time. When I see one, I point them out, but like, I'll say this about it. It goes in the highlight reel, like whatever oh the God. highlight reel is on YouTube of the greatest assists of all time. That one is now plop right at the end of it. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Now, I don't usually like to do this, and I know there's probably a couple of other things you want to talk about, but just um, these comparisons never work out, and I'm almost mad at ESPNFC for for retweeting it, but I, I took the bit. That's what that's what they do on that on that account. Um, they retweeted Mr. Felipe Orlando, um, a picture of Modric with the European Cup and with his, uh, I guess it was... Uh, some kind of award he got at the the World Cup uh, final. This man is clear of Gerard, Lampard, and Scholes, but some people aren't ready for that conversation. Hmm. Now, these are players whose eras traverse kind of briefly, um, and there's obviously the age difference, and there's obviously the fact that Modric is still playing, which is the key to me. And I think if you look at I think if you look at the shape of Gerard Lampard and Scholes when they were his age, which is 36, I mean, there's no comparison. What Modric is doing is kind of eye-opening. More on that in a second. But if his general point is that we should be talking about Modric rather than comparing them player for player, like if I just go technical ability, that's the only standard I'll apply here. Not goals or assists. But what we've seen, their body of technical ability across their career, um, I would say Modric is well clear of Lampard, and Lampard would admit that himself. L- Lampard was a brilliant player, but it was, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of goals, a lot of assists, yes. But technically, Modric way ahead of Lampard, ahead of Gerrard for sure, and probably ahead of Scholes. That's how good he is. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't want to compare the trophy cabinets because that doesn't really work. Gerard has no league titles. Uh, Lampard has more league titles. Scholes has the most league titles. And Modric actually has a modest collection of what, two, two league titles in his time at Real Madrid. So, so it doesn't work on the trophy front, but if you just, well, I think he's, he's done well in Europe. Am- amazingly well in Europe. But I, again, it's reductive just to talk about trophies when we talk about like the best players. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that. It, 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 it you know, it's a, it's a one way, uh, it's a, it's an alley. It's a, but the point technically, if I, if, if I'm being totally honest with what we've seen from Modric, yeah, he's right up there. By the way, Modric, I, I believe of those players is the only one to have a Ballon d'Or. He, he does have a Ballon d'Or. That's correct. So that's, that's a feather in his cap. That that's is a, indeed a pretty a big one. Cause he's yeah. still uh, like, I know those guys were more in the heart. Lampard, maybe they were kind of in the heart of the Messi Ronaldo stranglehold over that. So was he, though. But he was too. 
and yeah. he got his in 2018 when yeah. Messi and Ronaldo were still it was still within the barely but still within the window when they were winning all of them yeah and now there are different types of midfielders as well uh, Lampard less so but Gerard you know Gerard had a was quite combative as a midfielder and um and so but but I mean Gerard and Lampard and Scholes were pretty much cooked by the time they got to 36 yeah Scholes Where, probably more than the other two would be pr- a little bit pre Messi Ronaldo more uh, than a little I mean his oh no yeah he would um but just on the fitness thing and the fact he's still doing it, I thought this was interesting from our friend uh, Mina Rizuki. The differences in Real Madrid's fitness last season and now, which is, it's a perfectly, it's a perfectly uh, appropriate question to wonder how 34 and 36-year-olds are doing what they're doing. Um, she says, Antonio Pintas, the GOAT, the conditioning coach, made in Italy. He was there for Zidane at Real Madrid from 2016, there for Conte, and brackets Lukaku at Inter last year, hmm. back at Madrid now, keeping them in fine condition. So, and again, look at look in this Champions League alone and some of the games. Look at the kilometers that Modric is putting up at thirty six. You ask questions. Mina's answer is Antonio Pintas, the conditioning coach. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, finally, JJ, the um, what you referenced earlier, Pulisa came on for Timo Werner. Timo Werner's been playing great, um, and that's not a knock against Pulisic necessarily, but I'm sure there were Chelsea fans that thought, oh, not him. Um, like, it's okay to bring Pulisic on, but do you have to take Werner off? And that was not helped then by Pulisic missing a couple chances. Um, Neither of which were sitters, by the way. No, the f- definitely not. The first one was a really tough one to take. I don't. But, think the, but there will be people who say, if Werner is still on there, the form he's in, he converts uh, them. Yeah. I don't know. I saw Werner have a probably one of the most bizarre. I know it was hammering a Southampton, but one of the most bizarre misses you'll see from point blank range, a header off the crossbar at the weekend. So, look, the first chance I think is a tough one, and there's no there's no foul, no blame on on Vern on uh, Pulisic for missing that. The second one, I think he could have done better with, but still, it's a, it's the height that's coming at. It's a difficult chance, but Twitter went into overdrive because. The last thing that was really good that you see is the thing that should always stay on the field. So Werner is playing well right now. He's got his goal. He's got the go-ahead goal. He must stay. Mm-hmm. Pulisic comes in. And if you look at it, Pulisic gave them a lot of, a lot of trouble uh, running the... I mean, Camavinga had to foul him at one point when he was on, the, on a breakaway. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and also there's this sense of Pulisic being a kind of a nearly man at Chelsea. Um, you know like okay he's won a European Champions League last year but comes on in the final misses that opportunity scores goal in the FA Cup final they don't win but he scored a goal and then he got hurt like he couldn't have done anymore he he scored against Real Madrid in the Champions League final you know how narratives are built and part of the abuse of of Pulisic on Twitter was why are we bringing him on like he's been he's played terribly for us this year and if he's not playing terribly he's injured so you know there's that's those are the ways. Has he been those are terrible? The kind of, I don't think so, but um, I don't kind think of so. binary he, way way that some again again this is lots and lots of people on Twitter, which is not necessarily the most right um, fair and calm view. I also should mention I thought Camavinga Cruz was really upset coming off the field, but I thought again Camavinga comes in and gives Real Madrid something else. I think that's a substitution you'll see again. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll remember that. 
Uh, so Real Madrid advance in what was thrilling, thrilling stuff. They're into yet another semifinal. We move on, JJ, to one of the Giants who will not be joining them in the semifinals. Bayern Munich out, Villarreal through. 2-1 it is on aggregate, 1-1 on the night. Wow. Um, the power of bulletin board material, I suppose, JJ. Yeah. <laughs> it's all. It seems like it's all Villarreal wanted to talk about afterwards. But it was. Um, I mean, Danny Parejo accused Bayern manager Julian Nagelsmann of disrespect. Uh, I think their coach, who I don't know personally, showed a lack of respect towards Villarreal and towards football <laughs> by saying that he wanted to kill the tie in the opening leg, Parejo said of Nagelsmann. For us, that was a lack of respect. And in the end, when you spit up at times, it comes down and hits you. Now, as children, we all spat up in the air, and it did indeed come down and hit us. I've never done that. You've never spat in the air and tried Absolutely to dodge your not. own Any spit. child that does that needs, needs to be examined, I think. What? Utter foolishness. So have you ever spat off a bridge? Into like a river? Yeah. Yeah. Or a pond? Or Absolutely. An overpass. Did it this past week. Right. And you've never in your mind, let me try and spit up in the air, like chewing gum or even just a spittoon. You've never like done straight it. up in the air. Yeah. So it would obviously hit me. No, no. So you, and you might try and dodge it. It's a fun game. No, fun never game done we it. Play, fun game. We played in the countryside on those long, long days. <laughs> we had nothing to do. I, I understand. I, I actually, I kind of like that. Uh, when you're careless with your words is what he's saying. It comes down and it hits you. And um, this was nothing short of a shocker, Andrew. And how did let me allow me to be disrespectful how did unai emery manage this sorcery with a north london reject 11 it was i was tweeting with grant wall yesterday about this it, it was something you know the the team when i saw one for i mean one fourth is starting for a team in a champions league semi-final like one fourth has been part of a team that's knocked out Bayern munich and that is knocked out Juventus, that's that's the facts of Juan Foyt right now. But but look, the team, Andrew, like so we've got Juan Foyt, um, we've got Francis Coquelin, Etienne Capui, and Giovanni Lacelso, who had and a Serge an Aurier on the bench, right? And Serge Aurier on the bench. That is that is the North London North Villarreal. Um, it's it's really something, and you know I hate to everyone... say this, but it is, with the exception of Coquelin. It's painfully Spursy that all of their rejects will no, go elsewhere and maybe win a Champions League. The manager, a ridiculed figure for the way he used to start his press conferences, a guy who, don't forget that in the prism of, of the Goliath of the Premier League, if you go there and don't do that well, you are a failure, which is absolute nonsense, obviously, when you look at uh, Unai Emery's CV. But um, how did he do it, Andrew? Well, yeah, um, he, he's the North... London reject of them all. Father is. of the North London rejects. It's it's something. And I I obviously most of my focus was on the other game, but I read a piece by by John Muller in the Athletic. And okay, Andrew, you're one nil up from your first leg in Europe, and you're the you're the small team traveling to the giant team. The plan is usually what? It's to be defensive, be compact, maybe try and catch them on the break, long ball through long ball over the top, something like that. And did Villarreal do all these things? Yeah, they defended really well when they had to. They were compact, had a little bit of luck at times. But what else did they do? 
they also played football. And, and, and John Muller points out at times, instead of just whacking the ball to try and beat the Bayern press, they created little triangle overloads and put passing moves and passed it out and kept the ball and worked it up the field. Just like they did for the, uh, for the goal that they scored as well, the equaliser. So I know where you lie on the debate about um, managers and players. And, and I, I do feel that you think good players equal good team. And sometimes the manager's role can be overstated. Is that fair? I mean, ultimately, yes. I, I think we oftentimes put too much on managers and not enough on players. So right. sure, you can, you can phrase think, it however you want. Yeah, I think in this case when you see what he's doing with it, like these players are de- you know, they're professional footballers, but at the same time, I do think Emery, his thought processes, the systems he puts together. Um, this is just brilliant. And it's a triumph for him as well. Now, a friend of yes, mine, it is a, a friend of mine who, uh, Eric, I should give a shout out. He called this last week. He said, Bern are going out. He said, they're weak. They're, they're fallible this year. And he was right in the end. But you have to give props to Villarreal and what they're doing. They are, they're something special. And I would, I would tell people to read that piece by John Muller on The Athletic just to get an idea of this isn't, just, this isn't just a team that's going to come and bunker down. They've got more than that. Yeah, he's right. And uh, you can't argue with it. Now, what I could say is that the, Villarreal had one shot on target. Yeah, they scored with it. I mean, so that's that's efficiency. And by the way, uh, that that shot was right into the ground. If you watch it, it just went bounced and went up. I thought it was a really clean hit at first, but it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so, look, you're right in that Villarreal did not necessarily do um, all the things that we expect the underdog to do when they go into a game in this kind of situation. Um but like, but Bayern certainly they had an abundance of chances, and for me, you know, the story can partially be about the things Villarreal did, but the story is also about a lot of the things that Bayern did not do. Their finishing, by their standards, was so poor in this game um, because the opportunities were there. You know, I, you know, I think the enduring image from this, obviously, aside from the Villarreal late winner or equalizer to win the tie, like Thomas Muller, a Bayern legend, free header by himself, eight yards from goal, just, and where is that ball going? I mean, he fires it completely sideways. Like it, Musiala had a good chance. Uh, you know, he played well in this game. I thought one of the Byron players who might be able to say that, but like there were just, there were opportunities that were there that yeah. Byron, and maybe that's what, who was it that you said, said that to you, Alex or my friend, Eric, Eric. Um, maybe that's what he means when he talks about Byron being fallible. Maybe this team is not ruthless in the way that some other Byron ones have been, but we've seen them put up score lines that would suggest they do have it in them. Um, but on this night and, and recently, um, you know, that's maybe not, not been the case. Rafa Honigstein had some things to say, Andrew, after the game. And, you know, Rafa's plugged into things at, at Bayern Munich and German football. He kind of talked of it in tones of a changing of the guard. Not, no, changing the guard's not right. Maybe a transitional period because there's a few things up in the air, a few player contracts up in the air, the position of Lewandowski, will he be there next season? And um, Kate Abdo asked him, and I, I, you know, I guess this is what FC Bayern is, but Kate Abdo asked him about the managerial position. Hmm. 
and Honigstein say that Nagelsmann has enough goodwill in the bank to survive this defeat. But it goes to show you the way they think at that club. Uh, another point that Honigstein made was, if you watch the FC Bern um, documentary, uh, the Amazon one, it's kind of interesting because it's this coterie of ex-players, ex-Bayern guys who are now at the top making the decisions, Oliver Kahn, Hassan Salihamidzic, all those guys, and that the old guard have moved on and that this is kind of their first real failure as a kind of uh, a brain's trust for the future of Bayern Munich. So it'll be interesting to see what the reaction to that is. But it seems to me from what Rafa said, a lot of stuff needs to be nailed down in terms of contracts and the future uh, for this team. And that maybe he didn't say this. This, this is my role. This is my words that this team that won the Champions League uh, two seasons ago and that has been generally very, very good. Maybe not an overhaul, but needs some kind of some kind of tweak. Yeah, some kind of tweaking. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, and look, if Lewandowski were to go, it, a lot of warts that maybe he has been good enough to cover up might then suddenly surface. Because um, look, he scored for them in this game, and what a goal it was! Uh, he's he is his brilliant self. But if if he does go, then. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know what I'm not sure what kind of money you get for Robert Lewandowski right now. Like I'm sure it would be a huge amount, but because of his age, you know, there will be a certain amount that you miss out on. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see uh, how that plays out. Let's move to uh, the final two games from this quarterfinal stage. JJ, let's go back to Madrid at the Wanda Atletico Man City. It ends nil nil on the night, which is enough for Manchester City to go through. They get it done. JJ. I don't know. I haven't gotten your thoughts yet on this one, but I'll give you mine straight out of the gate. Manchester City, they're loaded with all this talent. Um, yep. They've got great players everywhere, on, including on their bench. Uh, they've got arguably, I don't even know if it's arguable. I'll say they've got the best manager in the world, one of the best ever. Um, sure. So whenever they play, regardless of who the opponent is, they're at a stage now where you expect them to just be them and and score goals and, and play their style and so be it. Um, that did not happen here. However, I'm not saying that as a criticism. There's part of me, there is a part of me watching Manchester City win like this that has caused my respect for them to go up tenfold. Okay. Like, I, I love that they can win. They, they have their way, and they're always going to try to play that way, and I respect that. But the fact that, if, that we now know they also have an edge to them, that like they're not just this pretty quick passing, you know, kind of that they're not just that. If, if you want to take them down into the dirt, they'll go down there with you and they will fight back and they'll win doing so. And so, like a lot of people said that this was unwatchable. Um, this was S housery no. and nothing else. I, from the Man City perspective, them being able to do this and win against the team that is the best at doing this and Man City kind of beating them at their own game. Um, I, I actually gained respect for them being able to do that. I, uh, let, let's just give the pattern of the game very quickly. Basically, we didn't see Anthem from Atleti until the latter quarter of the game. Mm -hmm. So it's like nearly 170 minutes of football. They'd only managed one shot on target in that time. And then they kind of had a bit of an onslaught into the city goal. And there was then what broke out was just this carnival of time wasting uh, Atleti getting very upset about this, Felipe getting sent off, a brawl, Jack Grealish calling someone a C, getting his <laughs> hair pulled, 
all this stuff happened and the backdrop was commentators. Well, this is not the kind of thing you want to see. No, excuse me. This is exactly the kind of thing we want to see. Don't tell me you did not revel as a viewer or as a neutral, probably more as a neutral than a supporter of either team in this kind of stuff. This was, this was high theater. And it was, it was almost a throwback to what I remember these kind of European nights to be where everything was on the line. That's what it was. You know that the Champions League, I would say the quarterfinal stage of the Champions League, generally, that we've experienced in the last, what would you say, five, six, seven seasons. Let's, let's put it at seven seasons. That is a complete outlier to my memories of 1990s European ties. They were like this. Perjured, uh, nasty, time-wasting, trying to gain the advantage taking hours over throw-ins, kick-outs. If you got one nil up, then you sat on that, baby. You sat on that precious egg. That's what it was like. By so the way, like- you can be, you can nostalgically enjoy that, and, and I can enjoy kind of what happened here in this yeah. game. Doesn't mean I want to go back to that. No, I'm kind not like, saying to go- I kind of like how things are. No, I'm not saying to go back to it, but you have to find the drama within what you're seeing in this nil-nil, which looks like a real bad, uh, as they say, advertisement for the game. No, you have to see what's going on. And I thought it was tremendous fun. And I was absorbed by it to the point I, I didn't watch a minute of Liverpool-Benfica. Not a minute. I went back, I watched highlights afterwards, job done. But this was, this was just so absorbing. And what you're saying is correct. City, you know, City indulged in their own little bit to dive in. But yeah... The, the general sense from Atleti afterwards was that they were upset that someone had done what they get criticized for doing regularly. And that really doesn't wash for me as a criticism. Now, to give Atleti props, it was amazing at the end to see how their fans and supporters were in concert. You know, they'd just been knocked out of European football right before the semifinal stage. And they were all together singing Simeone on the pitch, the players for a little bit before they went down the tunnel and got involved in some shenanigans or maybe afterwards. I'm not sure, but um, there is something great about the spirit they have at that club. Yes. Um, But the request from all of us is, could you play a bit more football? Could you? And look, they're confusing in that way because sometimes they do and they have the attacking talent where they probably can. Like in La Liga this year, they've, they've scored 57 goals, which is pretty good. Real Madrid have 63, Barcelona have 60, and Atletico are next at 57. So like, it's not like they're just trying to get by on a series of one nils. Like they no. do have it in them. But in this tie against Manchester City, it is how they seem to choose to go about it. Um, and like, I, it would be a little bit disingenuous for, for me to go back and rip them for that because we kind of, kind of understood it Manchester City are the are superior to them in terms of talent and Atletico Madrid have this ability to win playing that style that's in their locker obviously and so they chose okay this is probably the right time for us to bring that out Um, in the end it didn't work but only barely Manchester City might be significantly better than Atletico Madrid but they only barely got by I mean think about the way this game ended like, okay, you had all the chaos of that brawl, but then we had what nine minutes of stoppage time. 
went to uh, wound up being 12 minutes of stoppage time and think about what was going on at 11 minutes and 30 seconds into stoppage time. I mean, Ederson is making the most, one of the most important saves in Man City history, I guess the ball is like pinging around in the box. It could have gone anywhere. I mean, it was, they were that close. So it's very critical because they wound up not scoring a goal over the two legs, but they, but Manchester city didn't do anything either. So they were, they were damn close to getting it done against a team that we all agree is better than them. That free kick at the end, if you watch it from behind the, the goal from the net, that just missed the top of the head of, a, of an athletic player. That only needed a flick because of the pace of it. That was flying in, but it, it somehow ricocheted out. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, Jamie Carroll poses a question all the time that I'm not so sure about. What, what do you, and I, I'm curious to think before we move on what you think of this. What would happen if Simeone came to like the Premier League to a bigger club with like that would be maybe like more of a contending club? Would he change his style altogether or is this is this just who he is, the way he played uh, transposed onto the field? Uh, I don't believe he would change his style. No. And I believe that he would like a team. He would only be hired because a team would want. Like you, you do your thing here. Go, like yeah, right. Like you wouldn't hire him and then say, okay, but we want to play free flowing, attack minded football. Like yeah, that would be weird. That would be Daniel Levy saying. <laughs> I don't know that Levy said to Mourinho, "Go, go, be something that you've never no, been before." But I think he said prior to getting Nuno, he said, "We want this club to be the DNA of Tottenham, passing the ball, moving the ball, academy players." And then he hired either Nuno and Mourinho. I can't remember who he said that to first. No. So after Mourinho, he said, we've lost our way, our values. And then he hired Nuno. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, does Daniel Levy know the values of the club, really? But that's I mean, conversation. He righted the him. wrong, but yeah, that was, that was odd. But yeah, I, I don't think you hire Simeone for any other reason than, than go, go win the way that you've won. Like yeah. he, in an era dominated by Real Madrid and Barcelona, he managed to break through um, and he did so doing it this way. Now, look, all great managers have to change in certain ways and have to you know, reinvent themselves in certain ways. But you're, you're not hiring him to suddenly look, you know, to, to play that kind of free flowing attack style. Um, but yeah, props to Man City. They are they are through as their quest for a Champions League continues. And we'll, we'll be watching for scans of Kevin De Bruyne's leg. It looks like his calf was strapped up and he hobbled off. Not, not a good sight considering it's uh, Liverpool part trois on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, certainly not. And speaking of Liverpool, they round out our Champions League conversation. They get through 3-3 it is on the game, uh, 6-4 on aggregate. They are into the semifinal as well, JJ. Um, I guess uh, the thing from, from this one, uh, who was it on comp? I'm trying to remember who was doing the commentary for this one. I'm getting all, all the various uh, different games confused in my head. Was it Clive Tildesley? Um, I don't remember now, but whoever sure it was, yeah. whoever it was, it's funny. They made a point at, at a certain point during the game to, cause you could see, you know, what, how good Liverpool looked. And we talked about this recently, but they, they stopped during the second half to make the point of who Liverpool had on their bench in this game. Mm. I'll just I'll just read through it in case you missed it. Um, they had Salah, Mane, Fabinho, Thiago, Origi, Van Dijk, 
uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Andy Robertson, um, and then Harvey Elliott, Keevan Kelleher, Keevan Kelleher uh, Curtis Jones. Yeah. But like Sala, Mane, Thiago, Van Dyke, Robertson, Alexander-Arnold. That was on Liverpool's bench in the second leg of a Champions League quarterfinal. That was mostly decided, but not necessarily decided. Uh, that's... And they, and they put up three. Like, they, they were fine to do that and, and get and those guys rested up for their game coming up this weekend. And they shaked out three of their back four. Uh, Samikas came in, played very well. Kanati got a goal. And Gomez started out right back. And um, it's, it's such a far cry from... And it shows the building process. And maybe also shows fitness matters too. It definitely shows that. But uh, Kiev in 2018... When Salah came off, Andrew, the big thing was we're sunk now. That's it. Our best player has gone off the field. And I think it was Adam Lallana came on for him. No, no disrespect to Adam Lallana, but that's not a like for like in any sense. And now over a period of windows and some quieter windows than others, Liverpool have strengthened and, 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 and built things up. Now, I still think the key part of it is, is staying injury free, but They've done their business really well and they've done it very quietly. But even now they're still doing their business as they signed uh, the youth player from uh, the young player from Fulham, uh, Carvalho, who joined the club. Uh, I think at some point in the summer. So I guess the way they've the way they've executed and the way they've they've spent their money and the way they've targeted players and um, means that you can you can do this kind of thing. And it was the right thing to do. And Klopp noted before the game, it's not just about rotation. There's guys who deserve minutes. And yeah. it's hard to keep those squads happy. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think, he's, uh, I think he, he did the right thing. And it, uh, it worked out, albeit um, Thierry Henry had words of warning on CBS about, you know, the high line and, and, defend, and conceding goals like that. But I think with a back four that doesn't play regularly together against a side who are, who, are, who have proven themselves to be a good side, uh, at least in the attacking sense, um, maybe maybe the three goals aren't aren't such a disaster. Yeah, and for Benfica, uh, their run comes to an end, but I think they'll look back on this fondly. I mean, this was a great run, and they they presented themselves well, I thought, against Liverpool. Um, yeah, and you know, I'd say they'll they'll get picked apart now, Andrew. Um, yeah, there are certain names that come out of this that I think are you know like Darwin Nunez has really put himself on the map. Yeah, um, you know this was this was a really important tournament for him. Um, the goal scored by Gonzalo Ramos in this was a, a brilliant goal to kind of you know to kind of give Benfica some hope. Certainly, yeah. when he you know, scoring that in the thirty second minute after they had had just had a Darwin Nunez goal disallowed after Liverpool's first goal. So, um, so props to Benfica. I mean, they you know they they pieced this together with like that aging back line of Vertonghen and Otamendi. Um, but it, it took them. It took them far. It really did. Yeah, credit um, to them. But, but I, again, I, we'll be glad not to see them when, in the future, a United Manchester United team that finishes eighth will be allowed in ahead of them. And so now, JJ, it leaves us with the semifinals: Man City, Real Madrid. Wow, Liverpool, Real. Are we just? Quickly, I mean, there will be time to kind of break this down and parse through it, but it's starting to feel now that we're kind of a few years into this um, and we can kind of take a step back. Are we in some kind of era where we've gone from 
Real Madrid, Barcelona dominating the European stage to an era of Liverpool and Manchester City doing the same thing? Are they kind of the new Barca Real? Um, it's a good question. It shows the dominance of the Premier League and the top. They're the two top teams in the best league in Europe. So I think if they can avoid each other early on to see them in the semifinal and probably a very good chance. I'm not getting ahead of myself with Villarreal, nor will Man City with Real Don't Madrid. You dare disrespect Villarreal, JJ. Well, I'm, they hear everything. Uh, yeah, they do hear everything. And um, I feel as if I, if I was a biblical character, I would be St. Peter Andrew. Who has denied? Who he did famously denied Jesus three times, and I, I've how many times have I denied Real Madrid? I mean, at this point, all throughout this entire tournament. Yeah, I am Saint Peter, and uh, I will deny them again. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think City will I think City will beat them. Um, Villarreal and Liverpool. I think Liverpool will beat Villarreal, but you're spitting upwards. I'm spitting upwards and my spittoon could land right in my eye. Um, they're fascinating. But back to your original question. Uh, yes, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that is the way things have gone. And the two outstanding teams in England being the two outstanding teams in Europe probably shouldn't shock us that much. Probably not. Uh, I'll tell you what. It, it was a very fun European midweek. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break and we'll pick it right up with the conversation that we're leaving you with from the European midweek. And that is city and Liverpool at it again. Uh, They played over this past weekend. They play in an FA cup um, this coming weekend. Uh, So there's still a a little bit more to parse through with that. Uh, A few other things from last week as well that I wanted to get to that we didn't have a chance to earlier in this week. So there's still a lot to do here on caught offside. Don't go anywhere. Back now on Caught Offside. One other thing, JJ, from earlier that I forgot to mention from the quick vacation chat, because I didn't want to make it sound like it was all like doom and gloom, like just because I was harping on the negative. Sometimes those things are just more fun to talk about. I should say I took Jack fishing. He caught his first fish. He caught two fish in the first what? five minutes of the first time he's gone fishing. That is special. I'm glad that happened for him because otherwise it turns into a deeply, deeply boring pursuit that you don't appreciate until you're in your late 20s and you're by the riverbank and it's just picturesque and calm and you're away from the world and you're like, I'm just going to sip my beer here. If I catch a fish, that's okay. If I don't, that's okay too. It becomes more, more relaxing later on. But here's the problem though. He now has a completely warped perception of what fishing is. Like for the rest of us, fishing is, is, the sports equivalent of baseball. It's slow, takes a while. Some stuff happens here and throughout, but like it's, it's, he thinks fishing is the, the 80s Showtime Lakers. You put your rod in, you're fighting for your life. All right, get him out, throw him back, do it again. Like, I gotta, I gotta tell him, like, okay, you had an unbelievable first fishing experience. This ain't it. Don't go into your next, the next time you do this, thinking that this is how fishing goes. Uh, but it was really cool. Seeing him do that, I enjoyed it. He was going crazy, and it was... That's a big that moment was, for you nice. as a father. Yeah, it really was. I was proud of everything. The whole, the entire scene, it was just right out of a Norman Rockwell painting. I really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> let's continue now, JJ. Uh, we were talking before the break about uh, City and Liverpool, and they played last weekend in a, in a classic. What a game. Um, 
And now they do it again. They come right back and an FA Cup semifinal awaits the two of them. Um, So here's the question I've been wanting to ask. So both of these clubs right now are battling for everything. They're battling for the league. They're battling for battling for an FA Cup and they're battling for a Champions League. What? I don't know anymore when you're talking about Liverpool and City at this stage in a season when all this is there for them. And they and they're by the way, they both expect to win all of them. They probably won't, but they expect at this point to win every competition that they're in. And right now they're on a collision course with each other in all of them. What constitutes a successful season now? Like if Manchester City win the league, but lose out on the Champions League and lose out on the FA Cup, will they be pleased with that? If Liverpool win you know, an FA Cup, but lose the Champions League and League to City, will they be pleased with that? Like, I don't, I don't think they will. And I don't know what, and Man City, anything that doesn't involve them winning a Champions League, which is what they've been craving, I think, as a club for, for all these years, any, like if they win the league and the FA Cup, but lose the Champions League and Liverpool wins that, then like, I don't think they'll be pleased either. I don't know what the permutation is for each of these teams on what would make them happy at the end of the year. I mean, I don't know how to answer that, Andrew. I I really (laughs) don't know how to answer that. I mean, I know Klopp Klopp has basically said we're going to take every game as it comes. The next game, because it's just so tight, we don't have we don't have time to do the kind of deep thinking on happiness that you are contemplating right now. No, Um, he doesn't have time. But we're fans. We I know, but only have time for this. I actually, I'm in the middle of this right now, and I I kind of am embracing the next one up, the next one up. I'd love us to leave the season with two domestic trophies and a Champions League or or a Champions League and, and the League Cup. The, the Premier League, I think what happened at the weekend, it, it there's no think about it. I know it gives you it gives City the advantage. It obviously does. I think it, I think I think City are likely now to 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 win all their games to the end of the season. If they do Ooh. that, they'll be cha- They'll be champions. What I mean, there's no oof about it, Andrew. They there's 21 points to play for. They don't drop. You think they're going 21 for 21? Why can't they? And and do and also can't. But do 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 you think? I mean, they've done it before. Do you think Liverpool are going to win every single? Who's most likely to win every single game? City are. I I don't know. Are they? Yeah. No. I I think City are going to win every game to the end of the season. I do. I do feel that. So, um, but all. All I know is I'm really enjoying this. This is that game on Sunday was just unbelievable. I I was at the Monroe Pub in Brooklyn. The place was absolutely packed. It was it was like a final, and the game did not let anyone down. And I, I have to say this for both sides. Um, the brilliant thing about both sides is that they have a way of playing. And they will they'll tweak what they do in the game. City like they City did this had this brilliant habit of a, a kind of a an outside in ball in behind the Liverpool fullbacks that gave them lots and lots of trouble. Liverpool can tweak their the way they play too. But both teams have fundamentals, Andrew. They don't move away from they will both play a high line, they will both go after the game and try to win it. That leaves gaps. That leaves opportunities. City had so many. They probably should have won the game in the first half. They didn't. They left City in it. Uh, they left Liverpool in it. Liverpool got back. But it's just the attitude to the game. It's just let's go and play, and we'll have our system, 
and the chips will fall where they may. Now that suggests that it, there's it, it's complete abandon. It isn't. There's there's tactical things. There there's there's thoughts and there's nuances in the game, and there is planning. But it is so open. It's fun to watch, and I, I'm just absolutely enjoying it. I can't even imagine. what I mean, City are going to be tired after a draining game in Madrid. Liverpool less so. So uh, Saturday is going to be. Just another brilliant game. I think we're we're really spoiled. It's it's so entertaining. Last Sunday was the zenith of sport. It was so good. It was just so good. And um, parking all your reservations, there'll be plenty of people who say, "Well, Manchester City, the the most lavishly funded project in the history of football. Of course, they should be good." Well, that's not always true. It doesn't always work out like that. And um, and the respect the two managers have for each other. Like Ken Early was making the point oh that... Oh, my God. Said, it's almost nauseating. At the end of the game, I'm waiting that, for, oh, high five, chest bump, secret handshake. Like, it's all yeah. right, we get it. You love each other and your respect for one another is through the roof. Yeah. It's an edge. Right. So that was the big debate coming into it. And I saw Miguel Delaney and our own uh, Alex Shaw of ESPN get into it on Twitter. So Miguel was saying how this is the biggest rivalry now and... Uh, Alex took exception to the term. No, don't, don't forget. Alex is a Manchester United supporter. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of copamine being taken uh, by United fans right now to help them cope with the fact that they are a complete irrelevance to, to the top of the table right now. But Alex did make some good points and a point that kind of speaks to what you were saying. He said that in terms of a rivalry, like the players, the managers, they don't hate each other. No, the opposite. They, they like each other. Their hatred is in the is in the Twitter sphere and in the stands. The two supporters, uh, you know, the enmity between City and Liverpool supporters is palpable. That is very real. That rivalry is very real. Um, but in terms of the players, apart from a few incidents, you know, Gomez and Sterling having a fight at an England training camp and and and, and things of that nature, the 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 playing staff and the coaching staff they love each other. And you're right. It's, it is jarring to see it. Like Pep seek, sought out Klopp. He walked past Klopp and then he, he swung around to do this like really dramatic high five. You know, or, or, it, was, it, wasn't, it was a high five handshake, wasn't it? And they embraced. Mm -hmm. It's like in a, an 80s movie when somebody comes up with an idea and then the idea works. And they swing around and they have this dramatic, like over the top embrace. That's exactly what this was. And yeah, that leaves people nauseated. Back to what Alex Shaw was saying. Alex Shaw said, compared to Arsenal and Man United between uh, 1997 and 2005, let's give it that eight year period. Mm -hmm. This is nothing. This is absolutely nothing. There's the, <laughs> you think of all the incidents in those games, Keane and Vieira brawling in the tunnel, brawling on the field, uh, Pizzagate, the managers openly hostile in the media to each other. Mm -hmm. And some, some good games and some really just like physical battles. Ken Early's point on this is that because there's none of that, you know, pit of your stomach, like dogs of war, ready for a battle mentality from City and Liverpool. That venom, that hatred isn't there and it doesn't build up in match week that the games are better. 
Alex Shaw's point is that as an actual rivalry, it's, it's not as good as Wenger Fergie. Yeah, it, it can. It is a rivalry. I just want to say that there's no but question it's not, about it. It's it, not it, like it, it will. Yeah. Def, it might define this era um, right. because of the success of these two clubs. But it certainly it enhances a rivalry when it's not just the fans who don't like each other. When you know the guys on that field yeah. don't like one another, there's something added to it. It just is. But so um, again, it's on YouTube. People should go and watch it. Keane versus Vieira, where the two guys sit down and they talk about those years. Roy Keane said in the lead up to a, an Arsenal game, his body would start to ache as if it was preparing itself for the pain. Like wow. that is mad stuff. Yeah, That is crazy stuff. I guarantee you that's not happening to a single player. Are they getting nervous? City and Liverpool players. Yeah. Are they excited? Yeah. But it doesn't inhibit the way they play or it doesn't mean that they're going to go flying into tackles. You're right. It doesn't have the edge. It would be, it would be nice if it has, if it, if it had, I think, if you, if you could add that thing to it, but maybe we're, maybe in terms of spectacle, we're getting the better side of it. To go back to the conversation about the league and, and what's left and, and your contention that it's now clearly cities to lose. Um, I'm not there yet. I still believe that it's, it's essentially a toss up for me. Um, but to, no, I mean, it's to, still to tight, hand you an argument, right. Um, the fixture list, like Liverpool are at a point now where I don't really care who they're playing. Manchester city aside, I expect Liverpool to win even Liverpool, Chelsea. I, ex I expect Liverpool to win. That's just how I view them, but you can, if you wanted to, you can look at their fixture list remaining and say, okay, well, there are there are more potential banana skins in the road for them than there are for City. So that they mm. obviously have City this weekend in the FA Cup semifinal. Then they turn around on Tuesday and have Manchester United. Now, like kidding aside about United, that that's going to be a cup final for Man United. And Liverpool are going to have to rediscover that intensity after having going Champions League. So here's what Liverpool have had leading up to that game against United. They'll have had Manchester City last weekend, midweek second leg of a Champions League quarterfinal, FA Cup semifinal against Manchester City on Saturday, and then three days later on Tuesday, they're going to have Manchester United. That's a lot, even for a squad as deep as, as what Liverpool are. That's a lot, and United are yeah. going to... This is, this is it. Like This is the biggest game that United have left. Well, they, United, it would be typical that United would turn up for one game and score for <laughs> Liverpool. And then to continue through that, then so they have United on Tuesday and five days later on Sunday, it's Liverpool Everton, like another rival who look Everton are looking to fend off relegation. And they took a big step in doing so last week, courtesy of Manchester United. Um, but like this again is, is another cup final for a team that Liverpool are going to be facing. Like that's just a lot of intensity that Liverpool are going head to head with in a very short frame uh, you know a very short window then they've got Villarreal in the first leg of the Champions League then it's Newcastle away Villarreal second leg away then Tottenham on May 7th uh, that's followed up by Aston Villa for Steven Gerrard a game that he may view as a cup final then they finish up with Southampton and Wolves to close it and Wolves could be tough that, that's at Anfield um, but that could still be tough for them. Manchester City's run-in does not look like that now what City have that Liverpool don't obviously is is no disrespect intended, but a more difficult Champions League fixture uh, against Real Madrid that they're going to have to contend with. Liverpool may not, that may not be the case for them. Um, 
but City's running is, you know, I mean, they've got Brighton, Watford, Leeds, um, Newcastle, West Ham, and Villa. That's not the same as not quite the same as what Liverpool have. So the, it's a more difficult slate of games coming up for Liverpool. There's no question about that. Uh, we'll see. Look, I, I'm I'm game to game, Andrew. I'm in that. I'm, I'm you're you're as... right there taking cues from the manager. I love 100%. it. One hundred percent. I good. love it. The next time I see you, it's like you're going to be full kit W and not even realize it. You, you think you're on the team. Part of me just wants to enjoy all of this. As you, you should. You know, because they're they're like three separate competitions and it's it's I, I, I want to just enjoy every game and not have everything predicated on what's happening next. Like once the game's over, all right, who have we got next? Fine, I get it, but I, I do want to to kind of live and enjoy the moment. That's beautiful. Uh, quickly before we get out, just a final couple thoughts here. Uh, the relegation race in the Premier League is over. Um, <laughs> I mean, so when I was on the flight, it was a uh, it was a JetBlue flight, and so I had TV. On the on the way down, on the way back, my TV didn't didn't work. Not having a TV that doesn't work on the jet on a JetBlue oh. flight, it'll bring out the worst in humanity. Now I was <laughs> I was fine with it because I had both my kids that I was kind of trying to like wrangle, wrangle. And, and like so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but like now that JetBlue has offered this thing, like when it doesn't, like they've kind of gone above and beyond in offering every single person on a plane a, a television. And so, but like. That's above and beyond. That's extra credit. But now they get blamed for the, like they lose points on extra credit now. Like if your TV doesn't work, you see people just like arms up in the, oh, huffing and puffing at their seats. Yeah. And look, I get it. Part Sometimes people book their flight on JetBlue intentionally because they know that's a service that's offered. Um, but like sometimes I'm just like, this is, you know, they're going way above and beyond and giving every single person here a TV, right? Um but I love anyway, how you, co- you come to the defense of all large organizations, including uh, JetBlue. <laughs> yes, that's that is. I am I am big. I'm a big fan of big companies. All corporate Andy. Yep. Uh, another great new nickname to put in the holster. Um, <laughs> but so but my TV on the way down was working and it actually was great. Uh, I so I, while wrangling kids on a plane, I was also watching Everton and Manchester United because we had a really early flight. And um I think the thing that struck me from that game, we know what Everton have looked like of late. Yeah. And by that, I mean, teams are scoring goals against them with their eyes closed. Like it's, it's scary the way Everton are giving up goals. Not only did Manchester United not score a goal in this game. I mean, how often were they ever even really close? Like it was kind of not going to say it was easy for Everton, but Everton scored early in this game on, on a deflection, like, but whatever counts the same. Um, they scored early and United pretty much had like 70 minutes to try to get it back. And I can't even think of that many moments when it was like edge of your seat stuff. No. And that's the problem that's with them. Not been what Everton are about. No. And and you heard what Ralph Ragnick said afterwards. Like I said, he was done last week. He's so done this week. He's trying to talk himself out of this job as early as possible. I mean, any role at Manchester United, he wants out. He said, well, you know, if, if you can't score um, against a team that conceded three to Burnley, you, you just basically have no point even thinking about Champions League. That's what he said about his yeah. own team. The man is absolutely done. And you're wondering what Eric Ten Hag is thinking looking at all this. The overhaul job is just enormous. And what Ten, I guess what Ten Hag 
I mean, what he wants to happen or what he hopes doesn't happen is that he comes in in September or excuse me, in the summer and Ronaldo is still hanging around like the ghost of Christmas past. And he's got to overhaul a squad plus get rid of his highest earner at the club and, and the biggest personality at the club and the biggest player at the club. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's dire. It, it's dire, but it, it was predictable. I was, I was out for dinner on Friday night and I said, I'm going to fire off a tweet here because I got a feeling in my gut other than hunger. <laughs> and uh, I fired off the tweet and it said, uh, United, I just have no faith in United keeping this relegation race alive. This is exactly the game that they'll lose. They're just, they're just so pathetic right now. And it, it, it played out exactly that way. I saw that tweet mm. um, and I, I, didn't, I didn't text you or anything, but I saw it. I, I made note of it. And the way things played out, I, I got to give you credit. That took courage, my friend, because the way you have treated Manchester United and their supporters, they, they're waiting for their moment to pounce on you. And it's for not you like to if... put that out beforehand, that you know, I mean, how many times would that tweet have been sent back to you had things gone differently? But you went, this you did age, it anyway, and you this were right. aged well. <laughs> right, exactly. You would have got a lot of those. Yeah, but they couldn't wait. They probably had them in their drafts ready to send. Yeah, and it's just what you say about bold, you know the, the the way I've treated United and United supporters. Like if United were good, I'd say they were good, but they they're just they're just not. They are plumbing the depths of mediocrity. Is the best you can say about them. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. You're also, I, right. I should I should mention that Burnley. Sean Dice cannot be talking about teams that can't win games and throwing shade on Frank Lampard after the performance they put in at Norwich. Uh, I know it was at a big moment and Maxwell Cornet had a, a, a brutal miss, but they made Norwich look very, very good at the weekend. And, and that's the thing that's going to keep Everton safe. I, don't think, I actually don't think Everton are going to necessarily kick on and win their next five games. Um, but they'll do enough. And Burnley, Burnley and Watford will probably not do anything. Although maybe there's one more twist in this left. Uh, I hope there is. You know, it's very interesting with Everton. And by the way, I did want to give Frank Lampard. I didn't want to make that just about United. I wanted to give Lampard credit because we've been we've been hard <sighs> on him, almost almost bordering on mockery, which is probably not entirely fair. It's not a great Everton team, and he's he's kind ah, of thrust into here a we go now. Sudden revisionism. He's not been good, and they've not been good. That's true, but. He beat Manchester United in a must-win game, and I'm sure that felt extremely good for him. Um, the weird thing about Everton, JJ, so they're 17th. Uh, they have the same number of wins as Crystal Palace, who are 10th. <laughs> the problem is they don't draw ever. Yeah. And they have Palace 18 fa- losses and only four would, draws. Palace fans would say they've had some horrifying draws and some horrifying defeats mixed in there too. So Yes. It's true. Late, late defeats and things of that nature. Just a, so, just a weird anomaly. That's all. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't take that much uh, really for Everton to improve their position in that kind of, you know, it's a, a few wins together. Look what Leeds did. Leeds put a few wins together and it just zoomed them out of there. Newcastle as well. But uh, Everton have been unable to do that. So yeah. Far. With regards to Leeds, I wanted to mention something. My American brain is obviously 
quietly, but my American brain is always keeping tabs on Jesse Marsh. And um, I saw this from Adam Kraft and JJ because we know what Marsh walked into. Like yeah. that was a fan base that was prepared to go down a, a league with Bielsa. Uh, so, you know, here comes an American, here comes Ted Lasso. And like, so th- they were ready to pounce. Adam Crafton of The Athletic tweeted this. He said, if you told me the night I saw Leeds lose 6-0 at Liverpool, that they'd be nine points clear of the drop six weeks later, would never have believed it. Club made a massive call on Bielsa and hard to argue against it now. Marsh has come in and he's done his job. And it looks oh, like has. Leeds are going to be fine because of it. And there's a lot of respect for him in the way he runs his sessions too. You know, um, ac- if you can take away his accent, if you can take away his decidedly American look, if you can take away his uh, Princeton education, his MLS penalty goal that was tweeted out the other day. Remember the little penalty run-in? Uh-huh. I want that back, by the way. I, I'm all in on that. Bring that back. Someone tweeted out him scoring for the Chicago Fire with the, uh, the 35-yard run-in, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He had 30 seconds to score. The ball was live from the referees, 1v1 with the keeper, like almost like a hockey, hockey penalty. Um, if you take away all those things, like he's a very good manager. You know, it, the superficial keep all those things. I want him to speak with an even more American accent. <laughs> I know the I know, most American version of yourself. I'm just saying like his work is what should speak. And it's, his work is what he wants to speak for him. And so far it has um, now, hopefully that the, the club will, the club will back him in the summer because there, I don't think that team, that squad is good enough to, to not be in a similar kind of mid-table mush or relegation battle next season. I think they're short a few players. I think they have a few players who are championship level in the squad and hopefully they can bolster it and make it better for them. Otherwise, it could be another tricky season next season. I would like to see him next week managing with cowboy boots and a cowboy hat ah, on. Stop. <laughs> uh, and if anything short of that, he will be abandoning his American roots. Yeah, yeah. Um, Finally, I also wanted to just mention Tottenham again. They, they dropped four. Uh, this is They're doing this now on a weekly basis, putting up this, these kind of goal tallies. A couple things from this game, though. The first half was like, so the scoreline is 4-0. That would lead you to believe the game transpired a certain way. Hugo Lloris had to stand on his head to keep Villa from scoring. And Tottenham easily could have been trailing at the break. And it was like... I don't know. Like the second half, obviously it turned and Villa tired and Spurs really kicked on. But like the scoreline does not necessarily depict exactly how this one went. That first half was was really, I would say, more in the favor of Villa. No, but the X the XG is uh, Aston Villa one point seven three, Tottenham zero point eight five. Okay. But yeah, Tottenham, that that aside, I thought Tottenham were brilliant in the second half. I thought the goals they got were amazing. Harry Kane's two headers, headered assists for, was it Son and Kuliszewski? Or was it for both for Son? Well, the one that he had for Son was like, look, it's not going into the category of the Modric one from earlier. But in terms of watch, like in terms of how many times I've rewatched it, it's kind of of the same. Like I've rewatched the Harry Kane right now, JJ, for what we were talking about earlier in the season of, you know, just like what's up with him is his head still turned toward man city is he still tired from a busy summer is is it just all starting to catch up with him no hyperbole it's some of the best soccer i've ever seen him play has happened in the last two months 
He is out of this world great as a goal scorer, but his ability, once again, that we started to really see under Mourinho that has continued, and we're seeing it just as much now as a playmaker. Uh, he's, he's one of the best passers in the world. We've said that but, for a while, but unquestionably, you're seeing it week in, week out now. Uh, he's, he's outstanding. I wouldn't say that he's carrying this team because they're getting great performances from a lot of guys right now. But he has, once again, elevated his game to a level where we've known it to be the, the last several years. He's been unbelievable. I, I just want to go back to the headed assists, two-headed assists, deft headers. There was, there was a very famous uh, soccer analyst, commentator, ex-player called Eamon Dumphy. Um, and I think it was he who said it. about. He was talking about a center forward who, whose heading ability and ability to lay the ball off with his head was so good but his first touch was bad. And he said, if he had two heads where his feet were, he'd be a player. And I know that's a grotesque image of replacing someone's feet with heads, but I've never, I like, it was just unbelievable. The deafness of touch from Kane. He gave Kanza an absolute nightmare. Second half Kane Kuliszewski, they ripped Mings and Kanza apart. And considering the way Mings was throwing around himself around in the first half into some tackles, it was kind of good to see him uh, humbled in the second half. It's a shame only the same didn't happen to Matty Cash, mm. who just a brutal challenge on Matt Doherty. Like one of those scissor follow-throughs where he's just... Doherty's lucky he's only out for 12 weeks. I know it ends his season, but he's lucky because if his foot that he caught that cash caught with his follow through with his, uh, with his almost with his knee into the side of his own knee. Um, if, if, if that had been rooted, that's an ACL, that's a leg break. That's the whole, that's the whole triumvirate there. In the end, um, I think what was, it was an MCL that he's MCL. Done, right? Yeah. Tear, which, I mean, I texted you after that and said, it's for me, it's one of the cruelest things that can happen in sports where a guy has to wait to really be given an opportunity, finally gets it makes the most of it and then has it taken from him due to injury and an injury yeah. like that, that it was, that was brutal and, uh, and nasty. Yeah. And I, I feel bad for him and it's, it's bad for Tottenham because Matt Doherty over the last, I'd say two months or so has been yeah. one of their best players. He certainly has I never would have thought I'd be saying, but th they will miss him. They will certainly miss him, but I thought Tottenham were great just to round off and, uh, and don't sleep on how good those assists were from Kane with his head. That is just, that's technique of the highest order. And, um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good for Tottenham. It's bad for me because I questioned Benton Cora and Kuliszewski as signings and I couldn't have fool. been much, fool. Couldn't have been much more wrong, Andrew. But um, yeah, there we go. No, you really couldn't have. You really couldn't have. Um, well, there you go, my friend. You got anything yeah. else? No, 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 except um, I suppose we should make mention of issues at home. Well, the Sounders. Uh, just, just quickly, yeah, the Sounders, 4-2 uh, on aggregate, 1-1 last night against New York City, 4-2 on aggregate uh, at, um, at Red Bull Arena, the game was. And uh, the Sounders, they are into the final of the CONCACAF, Scotiabank, excuse me, CONCACAF Champions League. So uh, well done to them. Um, but I don't think... I've I've lots more to talk about, but we're just gonna have to push it to next week, Andrew. This okay. was the uh, I feel like this was the vacation stopgap podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, you can call it that. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, congrats to Seattle. 
as they got Pumas now in the CONCACAF Champions League final. And uh, as MLS keeps looking for that first one, Seattle will give the league another chance. And of course, it once again will be a Liga MX side that they will have to break through to do so. So we'll talk about that as we get a little bit closer to the final. But there will be uh, a lot to do next week, of course. I saw somebody, JJ, I feel bad. Someone uh, got into our mentions about still waiting for that um, MLS Jump to Conclusions podcast. I'm sorry. I think we'll have to do a kind of a revised version of it. We can still do it. It's just there's been a lot happening. I know there, there has. You know, this is our first quiet week. When well, the problem is right. the beginning of MLS season like really coincided hard with that. Like the with most more important international, things. the most important international break of like maybe U.S. soccer history. Yeah, the, the so. U.S. took the juice out of MLS, and then we're straight back in the Champions League. And and this week, obviously, with you being away, we can't we can't fit in as much as we no. as we wanted to do. Look, we'll get to it. That's all I can say. Yeah. We'll get to it. Maybe we'll do our jump to conclusions week at the end of the season so all of our conclusions can be dead on accurate. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I apologize for that. We've been, we've been slack this week, but you know what? We deserve a week of slackness. Yeah, Everyone, everyone's slacking off should look like this. I mean, what do we just spit out? A beautiful hour and a half on just like, you know, all, everything going on. I mean, come on. Give us some credit. I'm proud. We haven't uh, even touched, haven't even touched, and maybe we should let it lie. On I don't know if you saw what uh, Northern Ireland women's manager. Yeah, I did. Kenny Shields said. Ugh. Um, I mean, he's still in a job, I guess. So <laughs> there's there's something to be said uh, for the patience of the IFA with him. Um, he apologized for saying that uh, women are more emotional than men. He was basically talking about how women footballers and the women's game, if they concede one, emotion overtakes them, and then two, three goals will, will be conceded. And the funniest thing, and it's not funny because his comments were deeply... No, it's caveman deep, thinking. It's caveman thinking. It's deeply hurtful to his own players that he thinks so little of them. Um, and it's just an unbelievable comment for a woman's manager to make. But if there was any humor in this, right at the end of his comment that he said in the press conference, he goes, I shouldn't have told you that. Like he had this dawning realization that I have just said the stupidest thing. Or, or maybe this is what he really believes and he shouldn't have made it. Uh, he, he was admonishing himself for making it public. But um, Right. He had a, did I just say that out loud moment? Yeah, crazy stuff. Absolutely crazy. But yeah. I mean, I, I, how could you play for him again after that? Yeah, he's got some explaining to do in his own locker room. That's for sure. Now, he, he has, a, he, like I said, he has issued an apology, but... Right, for what, though? For telling us what you think? Like, we now know that you believe that. I don't know. It's, it's uh, some, sometimes apologies, like, they, they ring hollow. Like, this is one that brings hollow to me. Like, you, he thinks that this is... That this is the truth. So, uh, but everybody caught it as well. He did, like you know, just CNN have it, BBC Radio or uh, BBC Sport have it. Um, you're seeing Ian Wright came out with a picture of him crying on the field, saying how, what a ridiculous comment it was. And like, I mean, look how emotional last night was in Atleti Man City, the hype, the very pinnacle of the world game. Look how emotional that got. Mm-hmm. Felipe, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden. I mean, 
It was such a it was such Foolish. an incredible comment, but uh, I I had to mention it because yeah, yeah, there we are. Well, there you go, my friend. This was fun. Um, happy to be back. Happy to be talking soccer with you again. I always uh, enjoy enjoy these times together. We'll do it again next week. We'll have an FA Cup semifinal uh, to recap between Manchester City and Liverpool once more. I mean, we should say there there's another semifinal. It's not just them. Um, so, like, we'll recap. Uh, Chelsea and Crystal Palace too. And, uh, and then we'll know what the FA cup final will be lots of Premier league to talk. And yes, I promise that maybe, maybe not next week, but soon we'll have your MLS jump to conclusions week. I mean, and we're doing in the club about, uh, Italy as well. Still working on that, huh? Yeah. No, we're doing it. All right. What do you mean? Still working on that. <laughs> I'm asking, How... has the moment passed? I don't know. No, the moment hasn't passed. Okay. I'll tell you your moment will pass in a minute. How dare you? All the work I do in terms of booking guests. It's a, it's a, joint, it's a joint venture. How dare you? Mm, is it? Uh, uh, absolutely. I've mostly taken on this role. Let's not, let's not have right. a production I'm ending argument. this now. I'm ending this right now. Hey, this was fun. To you, I say... Check it later, fun boy. See you, man. Take care, brother. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 